I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from Ceasefire Business Solutions, helping businesses move into the future with next-generation fiber-optic Internet access. More at 855-CEASEFIRE-2. Ceasefire. Customer-inspired. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state of children's health in Mississippi in a conversation with the head of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Poverty itself means that all these health factors are going to be exaggerated. It underlies a lot of the bad health outcomes that kids have, including infant mortality, prematurity, obesity, etc., Then, what is EdBuild, the New Jersey company hired to look at how the state's public schools are funded? Later, a look at the charter schools in Mississippi. And Latin Fest is tomorrow. We'll tell you what to look for when you go. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi has the highest infant mortality rate in the country, comparable to Botswana and Sri Lanka. Too many children in the state are also undernourished and don't get the immunizations they need. Remedies to the crisis are being taken, and some progress has been made, but are they enough? We spoke with Dr. Bernard Dreyer, president of American Academy of Pediatrics. He says improving health care for Mississippi children will have to take place on multiple fronts. There isn't one medical concern, actually. It's uh, mostly trying to prevent bad things from happening uh, with good immunizations, good access to health care, management of chronic diseases such as asthma, good prenatal care because uh, there's a a high prematurity rate in uh, Mississippi. These are problems that really exist everywhere. They tend to be somewhat exaggerated in Mississippi. We're 50th for infant mortality and and low birth weight babies as well. So part of that is due to a combination of factors. One is poverty rates. So you're 49th in child poverty, meaning not the 49th least poverty, the 49th most poor children. Uh, only New Mexico beats you out in that in that uh, factor. In fact, 31% of Mississippi kids were in poverty last year. Yeah. So well, I was recently in Alabama, and they always say, thank God for Mississippi, because they're not far behind. <laughs> but uh, you should say, thank God for New Mexico. Uh, but I think the—so uh, the, so poverty itself means that 
all these health factors are going to be exaggerated. It underlies a lot of the bad health outcomes that kids have, including infant mortality, uh, you know, prematurity, um, obesity, etc. Um, increased severity and frequency of chronic diseases, food insecurity. So all of those are sort of tied together and having a lot of poverty. On top of that, Mississippi, as everybody knows here, is, is very rural. And so being rural impacts your ability to reach people or for them to come in for care. To get to a doctor. Yeah. So, for example, I was just touring the neonatal intensive care unit in the children's hospital in Jackson. And uh, they, they have a huge, I think, perhaps the biggest in the country. And and one of the problems is that um, people people with premature infants – they have those premature infants out there somewhere rather than actually being able to get good good obstetrical care very easily. And so that's going to increase your prematurity rate. That's going to in- increase your infant mortality rate. Um, one of the things the Children's Hospital is trying to do is send their neonatologists neonatologist out into those rural communities and try to train the doctors there on how to best resuscitate children when they're born. Um, on how to take care of them until they can transport them into the hospital. So you have one children's hospital, covers the entire state. You have many people out there that may, may not be able to come in for health care under an emergency or even on a routine basis. And those are complications that make things in um, Mississippi harder to improve. When a child makes a a weak entrance into the world yes. if they're low weight and, yeah. and other complications. How does that set them up for their future health-wise? If they're born in a place where they can be immediately resuscitated well, then they're at much less risk. One of the problems in Mississippi or other rural areas is that if a child is born very, very premature, somewhere out, uh, you know, far away from a real neonatology service, Often by the time they get transported in, and you do have a good transport service bringing kids in, but that's, those are precious hours uh, that that brain could be getting damaged because of, of lack of adequate care. So that's one problem that we need to work on here in Mississippi. Another problem is that we know that kids who are born prematurely, prematurely who are, grow up in high-resource households, households where the parents can really take care of those kids, can give the kids what they need, do pretty well. You know, they may have some learning problems in school, but they do pretty well. But then what I call the double jeopardy is that now you have a child who's born premature, who has perhaps some neurological problems from that prematurity and, you know, slow growth, and then goes back to a very poor household where they may not have adequate nutrition, where the parents may not be able to Parents may be working two jobs and not have time to reach their kids every night, where the schools may be not adequate. So that's the double jeopardy part of being premature and then growing up in a low-resource, stressed-out household. All kids go through childhood illnesses, you know, ear infections, rashes, colds, coughs. If a child living in poverty or in a very rural area, can't get to a doctor with those kinds of ailments, do they work themselves out or do they diminish the the ability to take care of yourself? Uh, so uh, sometimes they work 
themselves out. We know a lot more, for example, about ear infections that a lot of ear infections don't really need to be treated with antibiotics. You oh, can really? wait it out. Uh, but some do need it. So getting actually access to somebody who can help parents make those decisions is very important. Uh, one of the things I know that uh, pediatricians across the country are working on, including here, is telemedicine. So uh, trying to develop systems so a parent could literally Skype in and speak to a doctor long distance. And, and that doctor could then say, listen, you need to bring your child in or this is what you can do. This seems like it's going to be okay without bringing your child in. Dr. Bernard Dreyer is president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Dreyer, thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. In other news, as lawmakers prepare to overhaul education funding in Mississippi, MPB's Paul Boger is taking a closer look at the company hired to examine school funding. A New Jersey-based nonprofit named EdBuild is beginning the process of reviewing the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. CEO Rebecca Sibilia says at first glance, Mississippi's education funding mechanism is not in line with other formulas from around the nation. There are about 37 states that are funding schools primarily based on the needs of students. Mississippi is not one of those uh, states and, and will be encouraging the legislature to think about moving to a student-focused model. Republican leaders in the House and Senate entered into a contract with EdBuild earlier this week. The organization has only been in existence for about two years, but the group has already contracted with two other states, including Georgia. Sibelius says there are a number of similarities between the two southern states. One of the areas that we think we're probably going to want to analyze is how students in rural areas are being treated in the formula, where they are geographically. And while EdBuild has only just begun the process of examining Mississippi's education funding formula, questions have already cropped up from some lawmakers and public education advocates about whether the organization will push the state toward further investment in programs like charter schools or vouchers. Sibelia has previously advocated for school choice while working for different organizations, but she says EdBuild stays away from advocating policies like school choice. Our focus is to make sure public schools in the state of Mississippi are well-funded and have the resources they need uh, for all of their children to succeed. We focus on funding issues, not governance issues, because we really believe that funding is the lever for change. Sibelia estimates that it will take approximately two months to produce a set of recommendations for Mississippi. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, a look at charter schools in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Violence inside crowded Alabama prisons puts guards and inmates at risk. These facilities aren't allowing these officers to do their job. Then what you really have is the inmates running the house and the officers are guests here. I'm Ari Shapiro. A federal civil rights probe looks at whether conditions in Alabama lockups meet constitutional standards. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, charter schools. The charter schools give them more freedom to design their program in exchange for more accountability. They're funded by state tax dollars that public school districts receive each year. 
they're, they're in it for the right reasons. But some believe giving public money to charter schools is unconstitutional. We need to think about how to become partners rather than trying to fight one another. We'll take a closer look at charter schools on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Charter schools offer an alternative way of educating children in Mississippi. Students can leave the public school district they're in and attend a charter school. When they do, the public money follows the student to the charter school. Some say this step toward school choice is positive for students and the state. Others say giving public money to charter schools is unconstitutional. As you just heard on tonight's episode of At Issue on MPB TV, we take a look at charter schools. In this clip, Tommy Carden of the Mississippi Charter Charter School Authorizer Board says a quality education is the goal of charter schools. The purpose is to provide an opportunity for children to have uh, an excellent educational experience by operating autonomously. Uh, That is, independently and on their own as much as possible, and to give them the freedom to employ techniques and standards that will ensure a quality educational experience for children. We're looking for um, compliance with the charter, the contract that we have in place with the charter school. And in that contract, there's an academic performance framework and there are other requirements set forth in that contract We're looking to make sure that the charter school has complied with every term of that contract, and hopefully we're going to see results from an academic standpoint that benefit the children in those schools. There's a core set of requirements, and that basically is built around the academic performance framework that we require from charters. Then there are portions such as you have to have a transportation plan. You have to have some type of food plan. You have to have disciplinary procedures, things of that nature that have to be incorporated into the contract. So it really is a combination of core requirements plus uh, some detailed requirements. What we've observed in terms of the teaching methodology and the approach that's taken with the students, uh, it's very impressive in both charters. Uh, They're different. But both, both approaches seem to, seem to be effective when you go and you observe the classroom setting and see what's taking place. Well, I think that charters provide an opportunity for public schools in general to have a different educational experience to see if there is a better way of doing it. And if there is a better way or there are better methods that are working in the charter school, then why not export those to the other public schools in the district and let the rising tide lift all boats? I would hope that that would be one of the goals that we could pursue as a result of having public charter schools. The law requires that there be a five-year contract with a charter school. And so this is, this is not a short-term type of deal. This is a five-year contract that we enter into with the charters, and so we will be able to review 
uh, over the course of a period of time to see what's working and what's not working. There are some challenges down the road that we need to pay attention to. One thing we've seen is that, uh, first of all, there needs to be more information, accurate information, uh, shared with parents and the public about charter schools and what the law actually does allow and doesn't allow. Um, we're beyond the point of debating the policy about charter schools. They're here to stay. The law is in place. Um, and so we need to educate one another about, about what that law requires. I think we need to we need to think about how to become effective partners in the public education community with charter schools rather than trying to fight one another. That's Tommy Carden of the Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board. Marilyn Young is an organizer with Southern Echo and State Representative Jarvis Dorch of Raymond tell MPB's Desiree Frazier the potential drain on public school budgets that charter schools present is dangerous. Charter schools are bad for Mississippi because they are set up in a different structure than the traditional public school. I think that the traditional public schools will eventually be destroyed in the sense that we know as a traditional public school now, based on more and more charters being open in the state of Mississippi, because it drains the funding uh, from the traditional already under funded public schools. Well, when you talk about having school choice, do you think that's something that parents should have, an alternative public school that's going to give their children the education that they feel they're not getting in the traditional public school? Well, I don't think they've had that first choice of having a quality education in public school for most of the students in Mississippi. Um, take JPS. Um, since 2009, JPS has been underfunded by the state by close to $100 million. And that's $100 million that could have paid for more buses, more teachers, um, allow for interventions to help students that may need mental health, may have mental health needs. Um, so we haven't tackled that first end yet before we start talking about school choice. I think school choice is a way to allow people to not be responsible for the fact that they have failed public schools for so long. Uh, we just changed the conversation instead of talking about why, is our, why are our public schools so underfunded. So we got two issues kind of going on here. You're saying support public schools more, give them more money, but people also want alternatives. Where do you stand? You mentioned funding. Why is funding to you a problem? Because like uh, Representative Jarvis said, for decades uh, Mississippi has underperformed underfunded public education pretty much is in entirety since uh, education came into existence. I think the governor has cut uh, the state budget for education twice already and just did another unilateral cut about a month ago in mid-year. And so it's very difficult for the services that children really need to be provided to them without resources. I mean, you can't hire a reading coach if you don't have the money to do it. You can't have the social workers and the nurses and all those other wraparound services that are drastically needed because the real problem in Mississippi is poverty. And for the most part, we don't want to address it. That is something that people just ignore. Anytime you have children in stricken poverty, they're going to start school not on the same level, and it takes more resources to get them caught up for the most part. Now, in talking about funding, we've got a lawsuit that is uh, 
that says that the funding mechanism right now is unconstitutional because it's taking money away from public schools. Your feeling about that, Jarvis? Well, I think the lawsuit is appropriate. What you, what you have with our charter school program right now is charter schools are able to draw local dollars, our property taxes that we pay here in Jackson or in Hines County. They go to a private company and they're able to use it. And there's no, um, the citizens of Jackson or Hines County do not have any um, supervision of that spending, and neither does the State Department of Education. So you set up a separate school district that isn't accountable to any of the voters who are paying these taxes. So that's directly in conflict with the Constitution. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Marilyn Young of Southern Echo and State Representative Jarvis Dorch on charter schools in the state. Watch the entire episode of At Issue tonight at 7.30 on MPB TV. Up next, Latin Fest is tomorrow. We'll tell you what to look for when you go. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Violence inside crowded Alabama prisons puts guards and inmates at risk. These facilities aren't allowing these officers to do their job. Then what you really have is the inmates running the house and the officers are guests here. I'm Ari Shapiro. A federal civil rights probe looks at whether conditions in Alabama lockups meet constitutional standards. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tomorrow is the fifth annual Latin Fest in Mississippi. The celebration of Latin American heritage, music, and cuisine takes place every year at this time, reminding Mississippians of the diversity brought to the state by its Latin American residents. MPB's Sid Scott spoke with Israel Martinez, an an organizer of the event. He says this year the festival will shine the spotlight on the country of Cuba. This is our fifth year, and Latin Fest is presented by Nissan. And this year we're celebrating Cuba. And, well, our, you know, audience can expect, you know, a lot of Cuban food. We have uh, Cuban coffee and we have a lot of uh, Latin American uh, cuisine. We have food from uh, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Costa Rica, you name it, several countries. You pick a new country every year, a different country. Is that how you normally do it? No, this is a new change, actually. From now on, we're going to be celebrating a new country every year. Okay, and uh, did the recent thawing in relations with Cuba have something to do with bringing that country in as the first one? That is correct, yes. We've seen that uh, relationships are improving, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's uh, that's the way to, to work. And we want to bring something uh, to the Mississippians to learn about, a little bit about Cuba. Excellent. Um, when someone is going to be starting late morning, go into the evening, when uh, people roll in there, what are they going to be seeing? What, what can they expect to see? And what, what kind of activities in addition to the food? Sure. Well, the event, it starts at 11 a.m., and we have the sweet taste of uh, Latin America, the free food from different countries, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. It's free, included with the entrance ticket. And during the entire day, we're going to have Cuban dancing. We're, kind of, we're going to have different bands. We have salsa, bachata, uh, mariachi. We have local jazz. And, uh, of course, lots of dancing. What we do is we bring people from different cultures, different ethnicities, ages, into the same place, you know, to enjoy and have a good time. Do you think people will be surprised if they show up at how, just how many different Latin cultures there are in the area? 
Yes, we see in their faces, and it's it's amazing. And actually, it's not just Latinos. We have a lot of people from Japan, from Germany, from Italy, from uh, Africa, from China. They come and, and, and enjoy their the, the, the time there. And is it, is it a good family event? If it's going to be beautiful weather. Is it a great thing for a family to come out to? Definitely. Family-oriented event. And we have a lot of activities for the children. We are partnering with uh, SHEP the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, and they're bringing a lot of games. Actually, these games are science-oriented. Uh, we want to make sure that our children are taking careers in STEM. So they're going to be learning and having fun at the same that time. That is correct. So uh, the tickets, you can get tickets in advance today still before tomorrow? How do people do that? Well, at, at this point, the event is tomorrow, so they can you know, come and uh, get their, their uh, tickets at the door. It's $10 mm-hmm. per person. Kids under 12 are free. And uh, you said it starts at 11, goes until what time? Until 9 p.m. And where, is it, where does it take place? It's taking place at the Canton Multipurpose uh, Complex in Canton, Mississippi. Is there a, a website for people to go to to get a little more information, a little more flavor before they show up? Definitely. We have the program there as well. It's www.latinfest.org. We've been talking to Israel Martinez. He's talking about Latin Fest, the fifth year, you said? This is the fifth year, correct. fifth year. It will be going on tomorrow in Canton at the Canton Multipurpose Center from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mr. Martinez, I appreciate your taking time. Thank you very much, and we invite your audience to come and join us. Up next on MPB Think Radio, Gestalt Gardner, Next Stop Mississippi, and Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you have a great weekend, and then I hope you'll join us again Monday morning at 8.30. For the next Mississippi edition, it's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Chamber Music Guild, presenting All Things French, an evening of music and culture featuring James Martin, baritone, Marta Sloboska, and others, on October 15th at Millsap's Academic Complex. Tickets and information at mscmg.net. It's Marketplace Tech.